Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, our teaching leader, Brett Tatko, will be discussing Genesis 4. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, and join Brett as he shares truths from God's Word. Hey everybody, welcome to another week of Bible Study Fellowship. We're taking a look this week at the book of Genesis, chapter 4. We're going to see what happens as sin goes out in the world through Adam and Eve's descendants, Cain and Abel. Uh, Our first week in BSF, we took a look at God's creation of the universe. In our second week, we kind of zoomed the lens in and we took a look at God's creation of man and woman. And then in Genesis 3, we saw how the sinful desires stirred up in Eve by the serpent, led to sin entering the world. Uh, This week, again, we're looking at sin going out into some of the offspring of Adam and Eve, namely into Cain and into Abel. Before we jump in, let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word and for the many people over the centuries that have worked to copy it, to translate it, and to make it available to us. Pray, Father, that your word would speak to our hearts tonight and that you would teach us. We are reading a book that is ancient, but your Lord, your word is living and active. It will not return to you void, and it will bring about change in those who experience it. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 10 years ago or so, I learned that I have a heart condition. My heart condition is benign, but I have one. And in the normal human heart, there is a single pacemaker. It sets the rhythm of your heart. It establishes that regular heartbeat that you probably feel, that lub-dub. When when you're sitting and listening to this lecture, your heart rate is probably upper 60s, low 70s, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower. But this, this activity of your heart is governed by this single pacemaker. When you exercise, your heart rate raises. When you're sleeping or when you're relaxing, your heart rate lowers. And all of this is governed by this one pacemaker. It's called the sinoatrial node. If you Google it, you can learn a lot about it. My problem is I have a secondary pacemaker. And this pacemaker, every now and again, sort of wants to take control of my heart. It will send out a signal, an electrical signal, to make my heart beat. It's, it's following its own rhythm. It's not following the pattern of the sinoatrial node and the regular pattern that it establishes. And so my heart rate, my heart beat, is irregular. And this irregularity is uncomfortable for me when it happens. I can, I can feel it. Uh, it will make me feel uh, anxious. I'll sometimes have a, feel like I'm short of breath. And I've learned over the 10 years of having this condition that there are things that I can do that will help keep the rogue pacemaker in check, things like getting enough sleep, avoiding large quantities of caffeine, and regular aerobic exercise. I can sort of manage that condition. Um, I haven't done a great job of that over the years, and, and you might be you know, saying to yourself, well, Brett, why not? It sounds kind of awful when it takes over. You know, you, uh, you, know, you feel weird. You don't feel good. Why is it so difficult for you to just accept getting more sleep, avoiding caffeine, doing exercise. And the reality is, is yeah, yeah, those things sound so easy, but 
I want to live my life according to my rules. I want to, you know, eat the food that I want to eat. I want to have, you know, the diet Mountain Dew that I want to have. I want to go to bed when I want to. I want to get up when I want to. And I don't want to necessarily fill my day, my time with aerobic exercise. I want to call the shots and I don't want to have to kowtow to my heart condition and have it dictate the way that I'm going to live my life. And friends, this is the problem that's at play for us in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. There is a pattern that God said, this is what you can do. This is what you should do to experience the fullness of life. Eve, Adam, don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that tree. And we we saw them disobey last week in Genesis 3. We saw them reject the instructions that God gave. And it sounds so simple to us, right? It sounds so easy. You have all these other choices. Just don't do it. But yet in my life, I can tell you that with my own heart condition, I, I want to reject what I know is right for me, what is good for me, and do my own things. Now, Adam and Eve don't have a heart problem as it relates to physical heart conditions, physical heart problems, but there's a spiritual problem. There's a spiritual heart condition that exists that, be, that, was, that was brought into being by the, the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And now we're going to see that play out in the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Sin has entered the world and it has taken up residence in the hearts, the spiritual hearts of the people that are on this earth. And the reality, friends, is that sin, like my secondary pacemaker, is not just going to sit idly by. It's not just going to say, whatever, I'm, you're asymptomatic. Sin's in your life, but you're never going to know about it. It's no problem. Uh, instead, sin is working to take over. It wants to set the priorities and wants to set the rhythms of our lives. And uh, the aim, the thing we can learn from Genesis 4 is that God is going to deal with people's sin. God is going to deal with people's sin. So we're going to go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're in Genesis 4, and we're going to learn about this ever-growing family that Adam and Eve have. I'll read a first couple uh, verses here to kind of set the tone. Genesis 4.1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, as we look at the passages, as we look at the passage, we can see in verses one and two this family that's been uh, growing as a result of, of childbirth and offspring, as God promised that that it would. Adam and Eve could still have children, and here it is; it's happening. Cain is a farmer; he is working the soil, and the younger son Abel is a shepherd. And these are certainly activities that God had mandated to Adam and Eve as they were to take over and you know rule the earth, cultivate it. As a farmer, as a shepherd, they were caring for the land, they were caring for the animals. Now, the thing that we don't see is we, we do not know there's, a, there's an offering that Adam and Eve, or that, that Cain and Abel want to make. Now, we don't know why. We don't know what the instructions were for this offering, but presumably, God had provided some. Uh, we, we know that th- this idea of, of how to interact with the Lord would have been something that resonated with Moses' readers, the new nation of Israel, was living in proximity to a holy God. And there were instructions they had to follow. There were things that they had to do, and, and much of that is covered in the book of Leviticus and the end of the book of Exodus. But probably there was some conversation that happened at some point where the, the Adam and Eve and their offspring understood that there was a way to have offerings that were given to the Lord, and we can see this happen. Cain 
brought in uh, fruit of the ground. He brought in some of his crops. Abel, we get kind of special mention with Abel. Abel chose to bring in a firstborn of his flock, and he chose the fat portions, and he offered those to the Lord. The result of the offering is that the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but not for Cain. And so let's think about what's going on here. So first of all, uh, it, it's, it's not wrong to offer either animals or grain to the Lord. The book of Leviticus chapter 1 and 2 begin to lay out some of the offerings that the people of Israel could make. And there were, there were provisions for animal offerings. There were provisions for grain offerings. So there definitely would have been a way that grain could have been offered to the Lord in a way that it would be pleasing. And you can look at Leviticus 2, see some of the details of what's involved. Now, one possibility is that Cain had a technical violation. There, there are some technical details about the way that grain is to be offered, right? It talks about making it into fine flour, mixing it with oil, mixing it with frankincense, and also salt. And then that is a way that you can offer grain to the Lord. So perhaps this is just like a technical foul, right? Cain left out the oil, or he left out the frankincense, or he did something wrong, that resulted in his offering being unacceptable. I think that God's response in verses 6 and 7 indicates that there's more going on. This is not a technical deficiency. There's something else that's going on. This is what God says uh, after Abel and, and Cain made their offerings, and Cain is angry. Cain's upset. The Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I would argue that there's more going on than technical problems. There, there's, a, there's a heart problem in Cain that is resulting in his sacrifice being less acceptable, not accepted by the Lord. If we look at Psalm 51, David reminds us that God does not delight in sacrifice or David would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, this is David in the psalm, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a contrite heart. God, you will not despise those things. And so there's a heart condition that David knew that God was looking for when we bring our sacrifices. David needed his heart to be changed in order for his sacrifice to be acceptable. And I think this is the problem with Cain. There was a heart problem. And this was impacting Cain's ability to make this offering to the Lord. Well, the question is, is what should Cain have done at this point? Uh, he's, he's been given a warning. The Lord has said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. So what would the right response of Cain have been to these words of the Lord? Well, I would suggest that if we continue to look at Psalm 51, uh, David says to the Lord, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, this is really, I think David gives us a great example of what Cain should have done. Cain should have sought the Lord, confessed his sin, confessed what was in his heart, confessed what God knew was there, uh, and the grain offering was was really just a symbol or a, had some indication that something wasn't right inside of Cain. Cain does not choose to do this. Uh, God warned Cain, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. What are you going to do? 
And we see Cain's response in verse 8. Cain invites Abel into a field and ultimately kills him. Now, friends, I would suggest that this is premeditated. It it, it seems that way. God's response uh, later on to to Cain's actions suggests that this was murder. He did it intentionally. And so um, I I think this was a premeditated crime that, that Cain had towards his brother And rather than subjecting himself, Cain, rather than subjecting himself to God's instruction to turn, to have your heart be set right, Cain said, I'm calling my own shots, and my solution, my idea, is to get rid of Abel. My life would be better if Abel was dead, and that's what I'm going to do. Heart change is not on the table, but uh, if Abel's not around, great. And so the principle for this first section is is really captured in those words of the Lord, sin is crouching at your door. The reality is, friends, that God warns us about sin. He warns us about the consequences of sin. The Bible is full of people who have sinned and have experienced consequences. Now, many of them have repented. Many of them have recovered uh, because God is gracious and has made a way to deal with sin. But friends, there's a warning. There are warnings about sin And Cain just blew past him. Cain blew past him. Didn't care. Wasn't interested. Wasn't willing to change his life. I drive on I-55 a lot. And there's a lot of construction on 55 in Illinois. It's summertime. There's work zones. And one of the things that they've done this year on 55 is that you get a lot of warning before you hit a work zone. Right? The, The signs are out like five miles in advance. Rumble strips. Flashy arrows speed limit changes, and you know, you're driving, you're thinking like, I'm like half a mile from a work zone, but the sign says five miles, right lane closed, and you got all kinds of warning, every mile, right, flashy lights, speed warnings, and arrows. Friends, if you miss the work zone on I-55 this summer, it is not because of the signage. It's not because of a lack of flashy lights and rumble strips. It is present. It is there for you as the driver to see, but you got to be paying attention. You got to heed it. You got to slow down. You got to merge. You, you need to respond to the warning or else you're going to have an accident. And that's what Cain chose to do. God gave Cain a warning. Sin was desiring to have him. It was sensing an opportunity to, to take hold of Cain's heart and drive his actions and, and Cain did not heed the warning that God provided and ended up killing his brother Abel. So I wonder, you know, have you and I missed warning signs that God has given us in our lives about sin? Uh, we, we don't necessarily have God interacting with us the way that Cain did. The Lord seems to have met with Cain and spoken with him. But, but there are definitely ways that God's people are alerted to sin. One way is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit may be convicting us of, of things that we're thinking, things that we're planning, things that we're doing. Uh, perhaps you've noticed in your own life that you have anger or frustration that is really out of proportion for whatever the situation is. Uh, this is what Cain had, right? He was really angry over, over something that it doesn't seem like this is a good reason to kill somebody, but Cain was angry. He was angry out of proportion for the events that we can see unfold in the pages of Scripture. Uh, Perhaps you've had a lot of repetitive thoughts about what you would like to do or say to someone given the chance. Uh, Perhaps you've been sort of coming up with a plan to place yourself in a position where you might see something 
or do something that you know would be out of bounds, but you want the plan to be such a way that it was, it was an accident. It was unintentional. Maybe you are plotting sin in your heart. Uh, and and it's in, there's a warning, there's an indicator that says something is wrong here, but are you missing it? Are we missing those signs in our lives? Uh, first of all, another thing we should do is that, you know, we can ask God to help us find these things. Find the places where we are about to slip from temptation into sin. Uh, God would be, there are many prayers that you and I will pray that God may not answer, right? We might ask for a great job or a great car or a great house and maybe those things are part of God's plan for us, but I guarantee that if you and I say to the Lord, Lord, help me understand where I am being tempted and about to stumble and fall into sin. Lord, help me know where sin is crouching at my door. That is a request that God is happy to answer for his people. Another situation that you might find yourself in is that you know, you're actively sinning and you know it and you know that you've made a mistake, you know that you've dropped the ball, you know that sin has grabbed you, and the, the, I can offer no better advice than what David had. And, and David's, David, David led his people in repentance in Psalm 51. Uh, David confessed to God that he had sinned. And he had said, Lord, he said, Psalm 51, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Friends, God loves to care for his people. So if you are caught in sin, if you have sin in your life, come to Jesus, come to the cross, come to the Lord, confess your sin, and experience the cleansing that David talked about in Psalm 51. I made a couple of references to Psalm 51. It's a great psalm. It's not super long. It's David's psalm uh, after he was caught in sin with Bathsheba. And uh, it's his response. It's his prayer uh, it's his plead with the Lord to restore him. And so uh, it's really, it's a great psalm. If you're not familiar with it, take some time this week and take a look at it. Psalm 51. We're going to move on in our, uh, our passage. This uh, passage, we saw, we've looked, you know, at, at the experiences of Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel's now dead. Cain is elected to kill him. We're through verse 8. And we're going to pick things up in verse 9, where there's, uh, Cain is beginning to experience the full consequence of his sin. So there's a dialogue that happens now between God and Cain. God asks a leading question. He asks him, where's Abel? Where's Abel, your brother? Now, God knew. This wasn't a surprise. God wasn't wondering, like, where is he? I saw him a couple hours ago. Is he, is he gone? Uh, God knew what had happened. He was, he was approaching Cain. He was giving Cain the opportunity to enter into a dialogue with him, potentially confess. Uh, Cain has none of it. He lies. And he says, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, in this case, we've seen in Cain, the sin of anger or jealousy has resulted in more sin. We're seeing disobedience. We're seeing deceit. We're seeing murder. And Cain reminds us, and we're going to see this pattern again in Genesis, many older brothers fail uh, in, their, in their role of being you know, the big brother, follow my example, I'll, you know, help the younger brother along the way. Uh, many times in the pages of scripture, that will not hold true. And this is the first one. Uh, Cain really did not fulfill his responsibility to care for his brother. But friends, the reality is that we are our brother's keepers. Uh, we are called as followers of God to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we've seen Cain having problems with both of these. There was something wrong with Cain's heart. His sacrifice was off. 
God was was not the center of Cain's heart. And so we've seen that relationship in Cain break down. And we've also seen Cain do a poor job of loving his neighbor, namely his brother. Uh, he has not loved him well. He has chosen to eliminate his brother to kill him. And uh, this is not the calling that God's people have. Cain has become the first murderer. Uh, God calls him out against this. God says to Cain, um, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Uh, it's a two-part curse. Cain has a consequence that's related to himself and the ground. The ground will no longer produce fruit. Cain's a farmer, not anymore. Uh, farming will not work for Cain specifically. And the other thing that God says is that he will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. It reminds me of the cowboy in the Western who's an outlaw. No matter where he goes, his past always catches up to him. He can never enter into normal relationships, normal home life, because his, past, his murdering past catches up to him in the form of other gunfighters or lawmen or whatever. Uh, Cain is that. Cain has that experience. Everywhere that he goes, he's going to be branded and remembered as being a murderer. Cain responds to the Lord in verses 13 and 14. Cain really feels like the punishment is too great. Uh, he says, the punishment is more than I can bear in verse 13. He says, you've driven me away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. There's a sense that Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel had some sort of special connection, special access to the Lord's presence. Cain has now lost that. He has lost his ability to, to you know, fulfill his profession as a farmer. And I think we would agree, or you would agree with me when I say that sin has gone a lot further than Cain intended. Cain wanted to get rid of Abel. Cain wanted to establish himself as the preeminent brother. Uh, Cain did not want to be cast out from the Lord's presence. He did not want to stop being a farmer. But that's the reality of sin, is that sin is going to go farther and, and deeper, and it's going to be bigger than we ever possibly intended. Cain is worried that his life is in danger, right? Everybody on the earth right now is related to Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, right? Eve is the mother of all life. And so Cain is worried that, hey, anywhere I go as a murderer, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be a target. And the Lord says, not so. Uh, you're going to live a full life, Cain, but you're going to live that life with the punishment of wanderer and with the punishment of fugitive that is, that is on you. It reminds me a little bit that, that Cain, Cain's going to live out his days apart from being able to be in the presence of the Lord. And he, he, he's mourning that in, in verses 13 and 14. And God is like, yes, you're going to live the rest of your days out apart from me and, and unable to really fulfill the, the role of human flourishing in your life. You're going to wander. You're going to be by yourself. You're going to be rejected from communities. And it reminds me a little bit of the, of the notion of hell. Uh, and the, the concept of hell is, is that sinful people who reject God again and again and again, they reject his offer of Christ, will continue to exist. But they will exist apart from the presence of God. And, and that is some of what Cain's punishment looks like. Maybe not quite as bad. Maybe not Cain. I don't know if Cain is going to experience an eternity of separation, but certainly a lifetime of separation. 
we begin to see Cain's descendants, and I, I don't know what else to say about where Cain got his wife other than it was someone he was related to. Could have been a cousin, could have been a sister. We don't know. We're not told. But uh, Cain does acquire a wife, and he acquires descendants. And we can read about them. And his preeminent descendant, the one that we know the most about, is this man named Lamech. Uh, Lamech is sort of upheld as the representative of Cain's line. He's roughly seventh generationally from Adam. He had multiple wives. This is something that we've never seen before in Scripture. Uh, Adam and Eve were married. They were, they were a couple as God intended. Lamech has now chosen to deviate from God's original intent, and he has multiple wives. We also see that Lamech is quick to shed blood. He says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. So sort of someone punched Lamech. Lamech decided that the right course of action was not to hit him back, but to kill him. And so Lamech is, uh, he is violent. He has this perverse nature. And by saying that his revenge, the revenge for Lamech is 77 fold, he's essentially indicating that I am my own preservative. My reputation, my reputation for violence, my reputation to kill will preserve me. Uh, Jim Croce has a great song. It says, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Lamech. He was a bad dude. He was an evil dude. And you weren't going to mess with Lamech and his family for fear of the reprisals that you would receive from him. This is very different uh, from the model that we see in verses 25 and 26, which is sort of picking up the line of Adam and Eve's family after Abel's been killed. We learn of a, of a son that they had named Seth. Uh, and Seth has another son named Enosh. And we hear that Enosh, the time of Enosh, the people in Adam and Eve's family began to call upon the Lord. We're starting to see two different ways of going through the world. There's the pattern of Cain's family, uh, which is murder, vengeance, doing things my own way, call my own shots. God, you've got some great suggestions. That's all they are. I know better. And so we're seeing that different way of living. And then we're seeing the way of living in, in Seth and Enosh, which is to call upon the name of the Lord. We, we, the, Genesis 3.15, God told us about the two different seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And we're beginning to see that. They're, they're not biologically from different family groups, but their identity, their motivation, their decision-making paradigms are very different. We're going to continue to see the pattern of two seeds uh, in humanity throughout the rest of the pages of Genesis. So keep your eyes peeled for that. The principle for this second section is that sin's consequences are real and far-reaching. Sin's consequences are real and far-reaching. Said another way, friends, you and I need to agree with God about sin. God has warned his people about the consequences of sin, the damage that sin can cause, and we need to agree with God that sin is damaging, that sin is destructive. When I go and get gas, I am reminded that many people are not worried at all about the implication of their cell phones causing an explosion when they're pumping gas, right? There's signs, there's warnings, but everyone's on their phone and that dude over there is smoking, right? No one believes that the danger from using your cell phone or even smoking 
is dangerous at a gas station. Everyone has their phones out when they're pumping gas. There's, there's no concern. There's no worry because this warning sign, this alert that's on the pump is irrelevant. It isn't true. And, and I, would, I would suggest to us that we want to do that with sin. We want to say, you know, we, yeah, I mean, sin's a problem, and, and maybe it's bad for some people. Maybe some sins are bad, but I'm okay. The sins that I'm doing, the things that I'm choosing to do, the white lies or the gossip or the, the whatever little thing it is that we think we have, we want to say, not a big deal. God wants to draw a line in the sand and say, all sin, any sin, is bad, is bad for you, no matter how small, no matter what it is. Avoid it. Stay away from it. And, and we want to say, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Cain sort of figured that, you know, maybe there'll be some consequences if I kill Abel, but they weren't as much as he was expecting. And so perhaps you have an experience like that where you, you have sin in your life or you've sinned and it just went way farther than you wanted it to. It got out of control quickly. Uh, you, were no, it, it, you wanted one thing to happen and 50,000 other things happened. Uh, so sometimes sin goes farther than we want it to go and maybe you've experienced that. And then the other question for us to consider is what would repentance look like in whatever situation that you're in right now? Uh, David wrote a song and we, we have David's song in Psalm 51 that reminds us of what repentance can look like. And so again, great Psalm to take a look at. But what would it look like for you and for I to repent in the places where we are sinning today? What would it do? What would we give up? What would change? What would we ask God to do? What would we tell God? What would we tell other people? What would it look like for us to repent and to cast off sin before it takes a further toll on our lives and the people around us? So as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, my physical heart problem has required me to make some changes in the way that I live my life. I I don't always like it. I don't always like those things, right? I don't always like the fact that I have to be aware of when I go to sleep, how much caffeine I can consume, and I got to keep exercising. I don't like it. But I know that that is a situation that's best for me. I'm not always successful, but I'm trying to live differently because I want my heart to keep working. And, And the sin that is in our hearts is also a problem. And it is going to require some changes in the way that we live. We're not going to be thrilled about it. We're not going to necessarily like it. But God has told us, hey, sin is out there. It is dangerous. Watch out for it. We need to agree with God about sin. We need to avoid it when possible. And if we're caught in it, we need to confess it. And we need to repent of it. And the other way that we know that sin is damaging and destructive is the work that God had to do to deal with sin. Uh, God was dealing with, with, with people in the Old Testament, with Cain and Abel, in a certain way. But we know that God's ultimate plan, coming in the book, in the, New, in the New Testament pages, is radical, costly action to deal with sin. Namely, uh, Jesus was going to come as a man, die on the cross for the sins of the world, including Cain's, including Abel's, including Adam's, including Eve's, so that sin could truly be removed. And people could be restored to a right relationship with God, the God of the universe. Friends, are we going to accept this? Are we going to agree with God about sin? Are we going to turn and confess and ask God to do a work in our hearts so that we can be restored to him? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you that we have the opportunity to cast our cares and our sins upon him and be restored to you. Lord, for those who are caught in sin, who are caught in temptation, Lord, I ask that you would act. Uh, Bring people out of that. Bring people to repentance. Let us fall at the foot of the cross and cast our sins and cares upon the one that you sent to deal with our sin. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us on Zoom next Monday at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapters 5 through 7. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.